I learned recently that there are times when it can be a serious mistake to equate similarity with singularity. Just because some things have similar features does not mean they are one and the same. Two things which are similar can have very different purposes. It was about a month ago, taking kids home on the bus route, over by, off of Highway 32. There's one stretch in Highway 32. It's just a couple miles long north of Holt, where you've got, uh, in many of you, because you come from the Middle River Holt area, you know exactly where I mean, you've got 32, which is running down towards Thief River Falls. You've got a set of tracks immediately off of 32. And then just on the other side of those tracks, there's a couple miles again in the Holt area, there's a road. It looks like a, it looks like a service road to a freeway. It's there. And in the summer, it is quite usable. And I have used it and because it provides a shortcut for the bus. However, the one drawback to it is to come off of the gravel road that, uh, from, which, from the north, come off from that gravel road with a big bus, it can be a little bit tight of a turn. And if there's a little snow on the ground, I can't see the ditches, so I go, no, I'm not going to take that chance. I don't want to drop, drop my back tire in that ditch, because I have done that. However, a few weeks back, I was in a shorter bus because they traded buses around, and I'm like, aha, I can make that tight turn. But I better check to make sure that it's in such a condition that, um, that I can drive on it because I know that you know, sometimes snowcats drive along there, and I better just check. So I pull up, I stop, and if I pull up this way and this is the road, I look down the road, and it's clear right down that road that it has been plowed absolutely clear that some piece of road equipment has come through and it has cleared that perfectly and it's not very deep because from the edge of the clear cutting of a blade there's only this much further down before you're at the road level great i'm going to take the shortcut and i'm not going to go back out on the road because i always got to stop open doors there's there's a thing you got to go through to go across the tracks come back across the tracks and then i'd be a third time going across the tracks again for the one particular clip i need to stop off and so i'm like i'm gonna do this because i've got a short bus and so i measure my road conditions i turn down that road i don't get any further than from here to where steve porter is and i'm stuck and I am stuck in snow that is this deep. By the time it's done, the, the Suburban has been called out, and Brian Longerbone is driving kids that, that, whose parents haven't come to Gotham, somebody to get them. A couple of other kids, their parents just came, were on cell phones. And then uh, somebody comes with a bus to uh, pull me out part of the way, and somebody else comes with a pickup. It was a mess. But for everybody who showed up, I would say, now look down this road. Doesn't it look like a plowed road? It's a plowed road. What happened here? I can see it's plowed. It's clear that it's plowed. And, and all the kids and the first couple of adults, adults who show up go, yeah, it sure looks plowed. It looks plowed. Until Brian Longerbone, first he says, yeah, it does look plowed. And about a minute later he goes, oh wait, it's been groomed <laughs> for snowcats. Oh, you see, there's a similarity, 
right? You got the nice cut edge, you got the, the surface down below it, and it looks exactly like a plowed road with only this much snow on it because, you know, you can see where it bottoms out. Well, I learned that similarity and singularity are two different things. Similar features do not mean they have a singular purpose. Now, I say that because as we return to our study this week, this is precisely as he digs into the first full chapter, the premise with which this book, I Am a Church Member, uh, the author is working. Now, let me remind you, if you haven't been with us, uh, if you weren't with us last week, as of about midsummer last year, I just had a sense that it was time for us to review some things about ourselves as a church, just, just as a whole. When I had gotten here many, many years ago, we did this kind of thing, and it, it occurred to me, you know what, we have a lot of new people. We maybe aren't on the same page, like I've just always presumed, because we covered that a long time ago. And just having a sense, it's time for us to take some new looks at things, some fresh looks at things, to understand how do we do ministry now in the year 2020. I wanted to start out with a new series that we were going to speak about who we are as a church. But before we got to that moment, Miles put this book in my hand entitled, I Am a Church Member. It's just a, a, a good little book to help us think through when we bring church members on board. Maybe these are some things we ought to be sharing with them. And I like the book so much, I knew I will use this for years to come. But then it crossed my mind, if we start bringing in new members and they get acclimated to this and they understand this stuff, but the rest of us haven't been through it, what well, it's like, well, wait, all the new people are up to speed, but others are not. So we're going to go through it together. And I've never used something like this as the basis for a series before. It's very finite in its, in its purposes. But that, that's what we're going to, that's what we're doing. We began with it last week. And today we're going to now, we gave an introduction to it last week. Today we're going to uh, dig into the first full chapter. And it is entitled, I Am a Functioning Member when it comes to being within a church. And he makes, in this chapter, this is where he makes this clear distinction between similarity and singularity. That just because things are similar doesn't mean that they are one, that they are the same. And where he draws the contrast is with us as church members, we can fall into this, this kind of thing where we kind of see the church like our own little spiritual country club kind of a thing, where we can kind of, kind of see that, you know, as, as being part of our little club, like we just took an offering and those are my dues, and because I pay my dues, I get the privileges that go with being part of the club. And here's the contrasts. The country club versus the church in a country club, we may think we deserve service because we pay our dues and our fees. In a church, we become servants. Those are rather different. Remember years ago, there used to be a, 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 a particular credit card company. I don't recall who they were, but remember their tagline at the end of their commercials? Membership has its privileges. In the church... Membership has its responsibilities. 
like to read from you if I can. Just I will read twice from this this morning. And here's how, here's how the author, Tom Rainer, points that out in, in describing the two. Membership means perks. That is, if you're talking country club. Membership means perks. Membership means privileges. Membership means others will serve me. Just pay the going rate, and you can have others taking care of you while you enjoy a life of leisure. And tragically, this understanding of membership is what many church members hold. This is my church, so you have to play the music just the way I want it. Look, pastor, you need to remember who pays your salary. If you don't do this program, I'll withhold my check to the church. I've been a member of this church for over 30 years, so I have a right to get what I want. I always smile to myself when people having disagreements with others within the church want to claim their rights. I, that just always makes me chuckle. It's like you are so far away from understanding what we are about. If you think you want to have this discussion about what direction we should go based upon your rights, it's like, yeah, well, I think we're, uh, I think we're exhorted to die to ourselves. I'm not sure how those two go together. Anyways. I don't pay good money to this church to listen to sermons that long. Where was the humor in all these others? He goes on. Okay, you get the picture. Those unfortunately typical comments come from members of churches who have an unbiblical view of membership. This view of membership is more aligned with country club membership. For them... Membership is about receiving instead of giving, being served instead of serving, rights instead of responsibility, and entitlements instead of sacrifices. This wrongful view of membership sees the tithes and offerings as membership dues that entitle members to a never-ending list of privileges and expectations instead of an unconditional, cheerful gift to God. So that's where he is, that's where he is taking us off. Of what we need to do, though, of course, because... This is not the Word of God. This is the Word of God. So what we want to do now is dig into the scriptural basis, which will clarify uh, what it is we're, we're, uh, where we're getting our thinking from. And the first thing that we want to notice, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and the first thing that we want to notice is that we are each a significant part of a magnificent whole. Now, we're going to look at chap- verses 12 to 27 two different ways. So we're going to pick things out of them one way, and the next point we're going to pick things out, some other things out. But notice, if you will, beginning in verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Dropping down to verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Verse 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And then dropping down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So you'll notice repeatedly in his passage, he, he deals with this question, or, or, or he points out, doesn't deal with the question, he points out this reality that we are each a significant part of a magnificent whole. Verse 18, something we need to 
hone in on, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body as he pleased. Members, individual, body, whole. Here's the point. God is designing this. It's not us, friends. This is the work that God does. It doesn't begin and end with my sense of privileges or membership or because, you know, I have ownership, and we do when we're members here. We do have ownership. That somehow, you know, I, I, I need to get my way in a special way. It's like, no. If we're understanding what is being said here, God is doing this magnificent orchestration. And he has taken us and he has put us together in this dynamic thing called the body of Christ. And here, this local entity of this thing called the body of Christ. And he has placed us here for his good purposes and for his will. And for us to carry out that which he has designed for the influence we should have in northwest Minnesota and around the world. That we come together, we serve his ends. God is designing this, not us. The second thing we pick up in verse 27, and you've seen this verse for two weeks now. That verse says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. The body, this magnificent whole of who we are, this corporate thing, is much bigger than me or my personal desires. Myself and each of you, we're just individuals within this much bigger thing. So we are each a significant part, not downplaying that, please understand, we are a significant part of a magnificent whole, this thing which God is doing. Second thing that we want to just be aware of, our individual contributions differ, but our goals are the same. Now, when I say contributions, I'm not speaking anything of financially here. This guy's very clear about financial, speaking to the, to the fact that fi finances is a part of our church membership. Okay? He does, he's not afraid to go near that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our contributions to the work that takes place of the church. And in verse 13, we pick up this same chapter. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. Notice the different backgrounds he said have all been brought together. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body, dropping down to verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffers with it, or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. 
Now in verse 17, as he's talking about things about seeing and hearing and smelling, what is his point? His point is that as, as our own bodies function, these different things each have their own purpose in helping us keep us, in helping to keep us healthy and whole, right? So we see, so we don't run into things. We hear, so you can, uh, you know, you can just uh, receive my melodious voice and the thoughts that I'm bringing to you right now, right? These are the things that we have, and a little while later, we'll all be, we'll all be smelling food from the, the, that we prepared for a football game. It'll be wonderful. We'll think this is great, but we get this. Each of these is a different function. Each of these contributes differently to the health of our body. What I find intriguing is in verse 25, when uh, he talks about those which uh, God composed, the, picking up in verse 24 actually, God composed the body having give greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Remember where we started on this. He talked about Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free We've all been made to drink into one spirit. We have all been brought in to participate and partake of what the Spirit of God is doing as he unifies us in God's purposes and intentions. But you see, at the human level, outside of the church, this is what happens outside of the church. We tend to layer out people. Do we not? We stratify people outside of the church. Outside of the church, you know, these are the important people. For whatever reason, they're the bigwigs. They're the important ones. They've got the money, they've got the power, they've got the education, whatever it is you want to you do it. We stratify them in our thinking. And then there's those who are a little less important than them and also a little less. And then we pass a point where it's level with us. Well, I fit in about here. And then there's people we start to look down on. They're not very important. These people are the dregs. We don't care about them at all. And these people, we hope they don't even show up in our church. But when we come in here, that's not how it's to be. He's talking about those which are less honorable are treated with more honor. So now this, this stratification that we do, when we walk in this door, it goes like this. And we become one. That's what God is creating. He's bringing us together for his purposes, removing the stratification. He says there's to be no schism. Why? So the intent of the one spirit leading us, remember we were baptized into one body by one spirit, that unifying thing which God is doing is only going to be effective if we are willing to say, oh, that's right, that stratification thing, that's for out there. But in here, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I embrace them all. And I love them all. And I am a part of them and they are a part of me in this bigger, magnificent thing called the body of Christ. Do you follow me on that? Does that make a little bit of sense? We're all going to experience this to some degree or another, or many of us will at least, um, in, within the next few hours. You see it all the time. This kind of thinking about the critical parts of the greater whole, and it's going to be in the Super Bowl game, right? You see this kind of thing worked out. Although we don't call it a body, we don't say that it's, a, you know, it's the San Francisco 49ers body and the Kansas City Chiefs body. We call them, they're a team, right? But the concept remains the same. 
You could find probably a hundred of these in about ten minutes if you went on the internet. But here's one guy, because I knew it would be there. I didn't care who it was. I knew it would be there. Here's a guy who's breaking it down why the Chiefs are going to win. Now, some of you may think that's wrong. Doesn't matter. Go with the illustration. He sets up for the offensive options and then the defensive options. I'm only going to look at the one side. You'll get the point. What makes the Chiefs so dangerous is not only Mahomes, okay, they have an outstanding quarterback, but arguably the best set of skill position players in the NFL. There is speed and there is reliability and versatility. Tyreek Hill might be, faster, be the fastest receiver in the game. Wideout Sammy Watkins has shown big playability. Tight end Travis Kelsey is one of the best in the business. In addition to the Chiefs' cast of skill position players, their offensive line has been consistently good this season. This unit, with bookend tackles Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, will have its work cut out against the 49ers' deep and talented defensive line, but the Chiefs should be up to the challenge. Do you see what he did? There's 11 players on the, on, the, uh, on, the, on the offensive side, and he's pinpointed each one by position and said, now this guy's great at this position, this guy's great at this position, this guy's great at this position. They're not all playing the same position. Each one is contributing something differently. And when he describes that Tyreek Hill, who I don't know who he is, Tyreek Hill might be the fastest receiver in the game, and then he goes on to talk about these tackles, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, okay? i tell you what, I don't know who they are, but if you were to put a picture of all three of them up, I can tell you which one is the receiver and who are the tackles. And every one of you could do the same thing. Why? Because you know those tackles are going to be big men. And they may have 100 pounds on that receiver, maybe more. Okay? And it would be very obvious immediately to know which one are the linesmen and which ones are going to be out catching the ball. Why is that? Because each each one contributes significantly from that position that I need him in. Why don't they, you know, Paul was uh, writing about, well, what if the whole body were a foot? Well, where would the body be? Why don't they just line up? Uh, why don't they just line up, say, on defense? All right, why line up 11 linemen on defense? Why doesn't the opposing team do that? Hey, here's an idea. This is a bang-up game. We'll just put 11 big guys on that line, and we will stop them that way. Would it work? we go, absolutely not. They'd send one of their speedsters off the end, and he's gone. <laughs> they just flip him a little 15-yard pass, and he's going to score a touchdown. Why? Because you need everybody in their position, and each one of their positions has to be played with the guy with the right body form. That's how it is, right? You get it. Well, this is exactly what Paul is saying about the body of Christ. But instead of being a team, now it's within the body. And each one of us is to contribute uniquely. Our individual contributions differ, but our goals are the same, to accomplish the work to which God has called us. So he points out for us that chapter 12 is really in the context of chapters 12, 13, and 14, this discussion about the church. And we think of 1 Corinthians 13 as the big love chapter, and we use it in weddings, and it's appropriate to do that. But it's a good reminder for us to know 
but it's written in the context of a church that was struggling to find unity and to get along. That's the context of it. A church that was arguing over gifts and whose gift was better and which gift was more important and who should have the preeminence because of the particular gifts that God had given them to be demonstrated. And Paul then goes on to say, yeah, everybody's got their unique contribution. That's true. But then he says our motivations require some examination when he comes to chapter 13. Because he speaks about the utilization of these gifts. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, you realize that's a gift, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, just listed four more, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You're used to hearing it at weddings. But the context is about a church in turmoil that he's trying to get them to change their thinking about who they are as a church and being transformed. It says our motivations require examination. If love is not at the heart, at the base, the foundation to everything we do, it amounts to nothing he says. That's a pretty strong statement. So let's just put this final note on that thought. Christian service, based on self-service, is nothing more than a disservice. It amounts to nothing. So he wraps it all up with this thought. Biblical membership is functional membership. Eyes, ears, feet, all of these in their illustrations have a specific function to play in keeping the body healthy. He doesn't touch on anywhere in the book, so I, I got to bring it in because it's my favorite passage on this. But in Ephesians chapter 4, and this won't come up, you can just listen. In Ephesians chapter 4, in dealing with this question of the gifts and how they are to function within the body, here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4. Speaking the truth in love... He didn't miss that. That we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working, by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Every part has a role to play. Every one of us contributes to those around us. I do not take it lightly when we earlier made a commitment to Derek and Shannon and said, we are here for you to help you in your task of raising baby Mason. That is our responsibility to help you and to support you and to pray for you and, and to be present uh, as you need us because that's what we do. Every part contributes so if you'll allow me one last little bit from this book, and we're done here. We who are church members are all supposed to function in the church. Here's his point, is that we are to be functional members. The concept of an inactive church member is an oxymoron. 
Biblically, no such church member really exists. Such is the reason we're exhorted to know our gifts and abilities so we can use them best to serve the church for the glory of God. The fact that there is so much diversity in our church is our strength. Everyone has a function. Everyone should be functioning. Everyone should have a role. Because we are all different with different gifts and abilities, we will function differently from other members. But if we are true and biblical church members, we will be functioning members. One of the ongoing questions we should ask ourselves and God in prayer is, how can I best serve my church? We should never ask ourselves if we should be serving our church. And that's his point in the first chapter. That we are to be, we are to be functioning members according to where God has placed us and how God has designed us. Now, I want to call your attention just to a couple of things. It is this chapter which gives us the title from which I drew the title for our entire series. Our 2020 vision starts with me. That's the title for this whole series. And this chapter points to the fact that each one of us can say that and needs to say that. If we're going to fulfill the 2020 vision for our church, I need to find out what my part in it is. And I need to start with how God wants to use me in the context of my church. Okay, so there's that. Uh, the other thing that I want to make mention of is when Miles and, and I first said, you know, maybe we should get some copies of this book available. All right, guess 10, right? They're all gone. Those first 10 were gone. That was wonderful to see that. Ten more have been ordered. They're out there on the table. So if you didn't get one last week and you would like to have one, you can see ahead of time where we're going with this. In fact, the thought crossed my mind this morning. I thought, you know what? You can read ahead, and then if you have questions, shoot them to me and say, can you ask this question when you get to this point in the study? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? And make it a question I can't answer, though. Be gracious on the guy, all right? Okay. But here's the other thing. Each chapter ends with a pledge. Each chapter ends with a pledge. And I have shortened it on this particular card, and on one side is a pledge, and on the other side is a signed and dated thing. That's how the chapter ends. We're going to have a pledge card for each, each of the chapters in this series. Okay? Now, do you want me to be honest with you? Dustin, should I be honest, or should I sneak it by? Let's get it real, okay? <laughs> this wouldn't work for me, okay? The idea of filling out a pledge, the idea of reading a book and filling out six pledges in the context of that book, like, yeah, I am committed to every one of those things, but you start telling me you got to sign on the book and date it, I'd be like, uh, yeah, you just took the life out of it for me, okay? That's just how I am, people. But what I, as much as some people, you maybe you know what, I'm really stirred to do this. I sense I need to make a, a formal commitment between myself and the Lord. And you may want to sign a pledge card. Mostly what I'm hoping you will do is you'll take these and put them somewhere we can see them. And just, just as, at least as we go through this series, because there's going to be a new one each week, as we go through the series, go, oh yeah, this is what we're talking about. And this encapsulates for me just briefly what it is we're talking about in this series and gives me something to pray about in terms of, of what's my part within the context of this church. Is that okay? So I am not trying to 
lays this guilt thing on everybody and says, hey, you have to sign this pledge. Yeah, that just wouldn't work for me. But I want you to have the opportunity if it works for you. But I do encourage you. Think about what he has to say there. All right? The call today to being a functioning member. Am I engaged? Am I, am I using my gifts? God has gifted me. It's all clear. He's gifted me. I have a place here, a significant role. Am I using it? How might he use that in 2020? If you have any questions about that, you know, you say, God, you know, God really spoke to me about that. And don't be afraid to call me. Let's have coffee or something and say, hey, let's talk about that. Because I guarantee you, there's places where we need more people to serve. We are never like, oh, done with all the servants that we need. We got all the servants we need, people. That doesn't happen. So there will be a place if you sense God calling you. Father, thank you for the magnificent joy of being a, a member in the body of Christ, of being one who uh, each of us has a place, Lord. Thank you that you're doing such a significant thing through the body of Christ, Father. Thank you for that. I thank you for the giftedness that you have given to each one of us, that it has a purpose, an eternal purpose that you desire to use. And Lord, I, I do pray that you will be prompting us to get this free place where there's this joy about serving you that comes new and afresh upon us, that, uh, that we understand what Christian service really looks like. And uh, may you just, uh, just lift our spirits, Lord, to desire to serve you in, among our brothers and sisters in new and fresh ways, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.